here we are at Pod and Market. The Ironbound Community Corporation was created in 1969 with the mission to create a safe, healthy, just, and nurturing Ironbound, Newark's densely packed, immigrant-focused, post-industrial neighborhood sandwiched between the Passaic River and a series of railroads and highways. In its over 50-year history, the ICC has provided the East Ward with early childhood education, organized after-school and summer programming for young adults, led adult education courses, and advocated for environmental justice, equitable housing policy, and human-centric community development, among many other things. In short, the ICC remains the premier nonprofit service provision organization and advocacy organization in the East Ward. Recently, the ICC has been in the news in its role as an environmental advocate. Aries Clean Energy, a Tennessee-based company, is proposing the creation of the Newark Biochar Facility. It would be located on Doremus Avenue near the Passaic River. It would process 430 wet tons of domestic wastewater treated biosolids a day, mostly from New Jersey and New York. Part of the method of handling this waste would include heating it to 1500 degrees Fahrenheit and selling it as a concrete thickener. The response to this proposal has generated a level of interest unlike uh, anything I've seen before. The number of news articles and posts on social media surprised even me. Interest was so high that city officials have held several virtual meetings to discuss the proposed site. To discuss the battle over the ARIES project, we have two advocates from the ICC, Christian Rodriguez and Maria Lopez Nunez. Christian is a Newark and Ironbound native. They are a community organizer with the ICC where they advocate for a whole host of issues and are a youth organizer and mentor. They are also an urban farmer at Down Bottom Farms, a community agricultural project with the ICC. Maria is the Deputy Director of Advocacy and Organizing at ICC. Her policy advocacy successes include legislation around the right to counsel, the Civilian Complaint Review Board, and an Environmental Justice Cumulative Impacts Bill. She is also a member of Right to the City, Grassroots Global Justice, and a whole host of other organizations. So first, I want to thank you both for coming on to talk about this proposed facility. Uh, but before we get to the ARIES facility, I just want you to help our audience get a sense of environmental history in the Ironbound and um, how residents have organized around environmental issues in the past. Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you for having us on. You know, really, really excited to be on with you and to get this opportunity to share more about the about the Ironbound and more importantly, just about the city of Newark, right? And like the things that people don't realize are happening. <laughs> um, when we talk about environmental justice, I want to be clear, we're talking about the fight against environmental racism, right? Because I know for a lot of folks listening, they might think, oh, environmentalism, that's like for white tree huggers. <laughs> and that's not for me, right? Um, I know I definitely grew up thinking that way. But environmental justice is actually about realizing that at the intersection of racism and climate and justice is um, people of color and low-income people, right? And the way in the ways in which our communities have been shaped by things like redlining and discriminatory um, housing and zoning um, regulations, right? So if you think about a community like the Ironbound, Ironbound is four square miles, right? And we got the state's largest garbage incinerator. We got the longest Superfund site in the country, Superfund's the highest designation of pollution, right? And that's because we we produced ancient orange that we used in the Vietnam War that was produced right here in Ironbound. And there was this really toxic byproduct called dioxin that they were just dumping into the river 
into the rivers and that um, was getting up on the wheels of the truck. It was going all over the neighborhood and polluting the neighborhood. We also have the Passaic Waste Sewage Treatment Plant, which whenever people flush their toilets, they flush it, they don't think about it again. But now down here, like it comes here and we're processing the waste of 5 million people. We also live next to the port of Newark and Elizabeth, right? Which is the largest port on the East Coast. So that means that everything, all your junk from the dollar store to Fifth Avenue, it's coming in through that port and then it gets on a truck and it goes through the city of Newark actually oftentimes on its way out to get to New York City or to get further up or to any metropolitan you know so those of you at Willowbrook Mall or wherever you are in New Jersey chances are your stuff came in through this port got on a truck and then the stuff that came out of that port it hurt the lungs of the people that live in the city of Newark and that's just a couple of the things you know we also have two power plants it's just a little sprinkling to give you an idea of what the neighborhood looks like and what we mean when we talk about environmental justice. Because in the state of New Jersey, if you put it on a map, like the higher the concentration of people of color, the higher the concentration of pollution. And that's what we're kind of fighting against um, with our you know, fight for environmental justice. Yeah, so I want to dig into that a little bit. Um, so what, um, what role has the ICC had in fighting for environmental justice and against environmental racism? Yeah. Um, so ICC, uh, actually, the way we started was, you know, with um, child care centers. But then things got really serious in the, like, the 70s and 80s when there were explosions in the neighborhood. And for the organization, we quickly realized, right, like or the organizational history always says, like, ICC realized you can't just fight, like, for pe- for kids to have access to education and, you know, like that if you educate a kid the most um what you call it if you if you educate the kid and you're helping them kind of have their best shot at life that will matter but it's also going to be slowed down by the environmental impacts that asthma has for instance when you're exposed to pollution early on that stays with you even if you make it and you get out of the hood as people say right like you're out but the the health impacts stay with you right and those are for the folks that make it if you're living here you shouldn't be subject to that so icc quickly realized that and we were fighting explosions in the neighborhood because people didn't even know what was going on what was in the water what was in the air then there was this one of the big landmark legacy parts of our work is there was garbage incinerators that were actually proposed for every single county in new jersey because in the 80s they thought we're gonna we're gonna handle our trash by burning it right And then everyone would have had a county, even rich counties would have had garbage incinerators. And what happened was a lot of the rich counties were like, you know what, we don't need this. We're going to send it to Newark. And Newark was clearly identified as the dumping ground for other counties. So the the iron bond in the city of Newark weren't just going to have one incinerator. They were going to have three incinerators. And what's ironic about the whole story is that ICC led the charge on the state level against that law. That law was ultimately not passed. But the only places in the state of New Jersey that ended up with garbage incinerator were Newark and Camden, you know, predominantly black, black and brown cities. So that's kind of like really the surge of our activism. And it was called um, the Committee Against Toxic Waste. And that's the that's the the organizing ancestors whose shoulders we stand on, right? Like Chris and I, we're working off that work of those people that realized we shouldn't have garbage incinerators and that our neighborhoods didn't need to be this way and that Newark was being picked as the dumping ground for a lot of the rich suburbs and even for New York City. And, the, you know, like just the surrounding areas was using Newark in the wrong way and that we needed to fight back against it. And that we need to fight back from the community level. We didn't need no outsiders to organize for us. That we needed to organize ourselves and defend ourselves as a community. Yeah. Yeah. 
because uh, at the end of the day, we have like the most lived experience, right? So it's like our voices matter, and that's that's pretty much how we organize, right? Around the you know environmental justice, you know, making sure that the folks who are mostly um, affected by the situation um, are the voices that are amplified and are heard, you know, the most. Yeah, just to give um, our listeners, most of whom are from Newark, but just to give them a sense, like, can you describe, like, the geography of the Ironbound and where some of these um, waste facilities and incinerators are in proximity to people? I want to say everything's probably less than um, five-minute drive, less than maybe uh, one 0.5 mile radius, um, but we have the garbage incinerator uh, that's closer to our homes. We have uh, on Doremus Avenue. We have Darling. We have, which is the the smell that we were um, <laughs> mentioning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, just for just for the listeners, um, right before we started the podcast, um, I was joking with our um, our guests that of all nights, as I'm coming back home. I start smelling a smell, the infamous, now infamous smell. Can you explain what people think the source of this infamous smell is? It's a horrible, pungent smell. It's actually burning animal carcass is what it is. And so I don't know, and in a mix of other chemicals, I'm sure. Um, but the, the stuff, they kind of use it, um, I don't know, to make different products such as jet fuel, um, Makeup, every you know, anything that uses. I think. Co- co- I think cosmetics, right? I think it's a fat, mm-hmm. fat rendering mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I need you to think of that, right? Like in the middle of the summer, <laughs> they they decide, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna put these animals, like these dead animals, we're gonna boil them until the fat separates from the bone, um, and we're just gonna let that smell go everywhere, even though it's like humid, so you can kind of taste it. You know, like that's what Chris and I joke about a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't you don't just smell it; you taste it smell right yeah exactly yeah and it, imagine having to like be you know in a playground at you know i went to hawkins street school and a lot of the stuff that you know that we do with the with the youth is at hawkins street school and so sometimes it's like we can't even sit outside because the smell is just horrible so that's one you know that's darling right and then we have Passaic valley sewage company which the kids call it the poop factory mm. um, because it's you know it's all open uh, pit um, uh, open pit source where where they you know where they they house like a whole bunch you know sludge well, all all the poop that come, goes through Essex County and some parts of New York you know it all goes to Passaic Valley Sewage uh, Company and, and it's stored there and it's it's open containers like so the smell imagine again on a hot day and even now if you pass by there you know it it smells like poop. <laughs> It's 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 so funny at a tender young age, these kids are able to realize what that stuff is, right? I mean, how I, I know you work with children a lot. Like, how conscious are they about these kind of issues? I'm always fascinated because, you know, the youth are the future, and I often find them the, some of the best advocates ever. Um, are they aware of what these kind of environmental issues mean to them? I think oftentimes, like, we normalize it, right? Because mm. we don't know, right? 
And so it's like, oh, you know, one time one of uh, my partner went to the after school program and she's never experienced the smell. So she's like, what's that smell? You guys don't smell it. And the kids were like, what are you talking about? You know, we don't smell anything. So like they've normalized the smell all day and that's horrible, you know. Um, and so just kind of like teaching them, hey, you know, this is not a normal smell when you go to a different part of um, you know, New Jersey, let's say Montclair or somewhere where there's, you know, we don't have this issue. You don't smell that. Right. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And so like just bringing that awareness um, to them is is, is kind of how it helps. And it, it kind of they tell their parents, hey, mom, you know, dad, you know, you can call this number to you know, report the bad smell. So it's, it's helping. You saw the notes, the posts, <laughs> right? <laughs> and yeah, with like our, 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 with our folks, like, first off, we have like, you know, one of the, the, the best success stories is like Naheem Carter, right? He mm. started hanging out at the garden when he was eight years old. And now I think he's a big leader in his own right on not just environmental justice, but on criminal justice issues. Right. Um, so one thing that I love is watching a bunch a bunch of our neighborhood kids just going through the process with us. Right. Like we don't make a distinction or fetishize all the youth or whatever. It's just like they're community members. <laughs> we yeah. always say that. right? Like, why do we feel the need to separate out young people, elders or this? Like it's all it, we have to keep our movements intergenerational and the kids come when we go testify, you know, like their parents come, they come and they testify too. And, and it's not kid testimony. Like they ask us the real hard questions, you know, and we try to get them the information that they need so that they can form, form their own ideas, their own opinions on it and tell legislators and rulemakers what they think about it, you know? So it's interesting because we passed like a historic bill and I always say, like, the kids always knew what that bill was going to be. It's called the Cumulative Impacts Law, and it forces the Department of Environmental Protection to consider what's the, like, compounded effect of everything being concentrated and the, the impact that that has on somebody. Not just, like, one facility's um, impact, right? But what do they all do together? But I always tell the legislators, you know, that's something that the 10 and 8-year-olds, they know. Because they look around, they're like, it's unfair that we have the garbage, we have the poop factory, we have this, we have that. You know, like, they could tell you shouldn't have that concentration in a small area. So I'm always like, it, it makes, if it makes sense to them, it should make sense to other people. And if they can come out and testify on a school night, then other people got to get their butts out and mm. testify against folks too, you know? Yep. Yeah, kids have a way of, like, just speaking so clearly to an issue. Um, I, th I think you were getting at that, right? They just have a... It's a politician confronted by a kid is also like a very fun thing to watch because it's very hard for them to like ignore them or dismiss them. Um, but they do speak so clearly, which is why I was so glad that you mentioned, um, you know, young, young adults and, and children getting involved in this kind of work. And I'm also wondering about like, you know, sort of not to use a word that's gotten too, um, too popular lately, but like. You know, what about intersectionality? I mean, like the Ironbound is such a weird part of Newark, but also a beautiful part of Newark in the sense that you have so many different types of groups that operate within and live within the Ironbound. So I'm wondering, like, how, you know, is it an environmental issue able to cut across a lot of different um, a lot of different interest areas, a lot of different identities and backgrounds? You know what I will say is 
I, I do want to dispel a little bit this idea that the Iron Bound is like mostly Portuguese, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because it's been black and brown uh, majority for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. And like there, there's a tremendous, like at our early learning center, I would say that we have the high, like uh, the highest percentage of people who go there are undocumented and they're immigrants from Central and South America, right? So like the demographics in the Iron Bound have actually been changing for a long time. And I feel like a lot of folks don't, you know, um, while the Portuguese are still here, like a lot of folks don't also go into the deep iron bound, right? Like Chris, it's like the park we organize in, which is like on the east part of the iron bound, like next to the factories or in the south part of the iron bound, you know, on South Street, which is also next to the factories. Because unless you stay on Ferry Street, which is like, I feel like what a lot of the city thinks about when they think about the iron bound, they don't think about, you know, all the, the rest of that iron bound, the poorer side of the iron bound. The forgotten part, as we, the community often says it, you know, they often forget about us, you know. And so we want to make sure that doesn't happen anymore. And, and uh, you know, that's part of the cumulative impact ordinance that was passed and now the EJ law to make sure that, you know, our voices are still heard and, and you know, that we have a, a seat at the table to make decisions on what type of developments we want in our neighborhood. Um, does I, I actually wonder, does advocating around environmental justice provide a platform for these groups that are often ignored to be heard? Or are they like kind of really interconnected issues? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you know, like, um, yeah, like people don't picture it. Honestly, you know, um, people picture someone who's Portuguese when they think of the Ironbound. And, you know, like Chris and I are trying to change that and our whole team of like, yo, there's like so many other groups here. So we're trying to definitely um, get people to think deeper about the iron bound. But also, like you said, get a platform to say like environmental justice doesn't just affect the East Ward, right? Like because the air knows no bounds. It like goes to the rest of Newark. Um, Also, you know, one of the things is. ICC had an impact not just on the city of Newark or the state, but we have national relationships, right, with other communities that are like the Iron Bond or like Newark, um, who are disproportionately discriminated against um, because of race and class. So, like, we 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 have had a platform because of EJ to be able to talk to other communities and to be able to, like, kind of be in solidarity, right, and push for things on a federal level, on a statewide level, and say, like, we need to put a stop to this. It's definitely giving us more of a platform. And it's interesting, though, in our own city to still be kind of, like, trying to get people to think deeper about the Iron Bound and then to think deeper about our interconnectedness, that whatever happens in the Iron Bound is going to affect you. Because, like you said, you could be downtown and it'll still smell bad. (laughs) Well, it's... Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because, like, you know, that's one of the themes of Newark is how segmented it is right like it, it's really five cities even though it's so small right like the east ward operates no i'm not saying it should i'm just saying this is like how i oftentimes i think people perceive it right east ward feels like it's its own area the north ward may as well be in a part of belleville and bloomfield <laughs> um and then you have like the downtown and then the south and west wards have their own thing going on and I'm glad that you mentioned that, like this idea that there's a lot more interconnectedness and a lot more issues that cut across the ward lines or the neighborhood lines. Um, I'm wondering, do you like, are you able to get traction also with like Harrison um, or Kearney? I mean, like, it's not just Newark that's affected by this, right? 
I mean, essentially, we have like across the water Bayonne that are de definitely uh, be affected by it. But I, some of the some of the collaborations that we've been doing with, you know, with it's on the housing level that essentially, you know, in, you know, connects its way to EJ because, you know, if we have EJ, we should we probably more than likely having housing issues as well, you know, in the community mm -hmm. and because of redlining. So, um, so I know, you know, Jersey City is a couple of folks that you know we've been partnering you know working with but um you know other than that it's mostly been work you know with other wards right because we want to make sure that we're um showing that so lot solidarity you know within the city i i know south ward is one of the wards that's really affected by uh truck emissions right and so um They've been very supportive in, in, in a lot of the um, initiatives that, that ICC has been trying to to fight. So I don't know, Maria, if you want to add more to that. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, like we definitely want to give a shout out to Kim Gaddy and the folks at the South Ward Environmental Alliance. Right. Um, it's just yeah. we're, we're trying to build more partnerships because, like you said, our city could definitely feel like five cities. And there's no need for that. Um, I think that's that's been in. That's an old political game, right? To not keep us um, in struggle together. But like Chris said, you know, one of the things we've definitely learned at ICC is as you're fixing things up, then you face the threat of gentrification. Mm -hmm. And us fighting back against gentrification has given us a different sort of platform that people might think is separate from environmental justice, but it's not, right? Like we really are thinking of people as whole people. So that's like fighting for the right to clean air, clean water, healthy land, but also making sure you got a roof over your head. And that's helped us definitely build with other wards who have a lot of projects coming, you know, like the high rises or feeling like they're not getting their fair share out of the inclusionary zoning or whatever have you for us to think about how we work together and strategize, support each other across the city. You know, I'm, I'm kind of laughing because my first episode ever this podcast was about mx13 no what is it mx3 mx3 MX3. <laughs> sorry there we go whoa that i just realized what i messed up there <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. no, uh, no no it's it's funny because i used to be a lawyer and i did um i did a salvadoran asylum case which is why i know that name um but um the uh it's just funny that you you see I, I just never piece these things together right like ms3 high towers and environmental justice that these are all part of a larger field right of of um social justice and um and that these things do interconnect with each other and how you know that you have to activate different aspects of the community to fight for these or to prevent certain things from happening. Um, and you know what else it is? Yeah. Like with that, like just to cut in there, no, like it's, it, it's also like the lessons we've learned because of environmental justice have everything to do with like how land is managed, right? Mm -hmm. And like we've had to, honestly, I know things that are so weird. <laughs> I know like the obscure laws that I, I never thought in my life, like I would learn. But because of this work, I've learned, oh, my God, the difference between the planning board and the zoning board. You know, what does the master plan do and the control that all these things have on the daily life of the people? So that's why you see ICC at these different fights. It's like we've picked up some tools <laughs> as we're fighting the incinerator. We've learned you can use a lot of those same tactics, a lot of that knowledge 
to fight the high rise mm-hmm. and the high density that they want to push. You know, that's why, you know, shout out to the Newark master plan process. It's something we're, we're all going to have to get involved in that like determines what type of buildings go where, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's things you never think like they have anything to do with you until you're being kicked out of your house. So, yeah, yeah I, I love that. The lesson, the lessons and skills of environmental justice are super transferable <laughs> to like, than fighting for your home or like trying to clean up the water. Yeah, I'll tell you something. You know, it's 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 when you go to a planning board meeting to fight. This is this happened to my mother. I mean, my mother like is not an SJW, um, but became one for like two years basically without her realizing it um, because of an issue where they were trying to build a lot more housing in the North Ward um, instead of a school. This is back in 2000, 2000 2001. and. You just you go to this you, these planning board meetings or you go to city council meetings and that's where you meet other groups and you discover, oh my God, <laughs> there's another group fighting a similar thing, or trying to get another similar thing passed on the other side of the city, but you never knew about them, right? I mean now we have the internet, it's a little bit easier, but like in those days it was like you had to like do the legwork, and I'm wondering how important legwork is still to what you guys do. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely we, we, the on-the-ground work is, like, really important, right? Because you still want to um, – yeah, we have the Internet, but that connection that you have with the people, um, being able to talk to face-to-face with them and, and you know, build that rapport with them is – I think that's, that's what continues the m- momentum going and the movement going is that connection. Um, for the East, where, what, what – in East Ironbound, I, we we have like uh, we have community advisory board meetings, and this is where a lot of our projects and our interests, you know, um, come to fruition. Fruition, um, and a lot of the trainings, you know, um, happen there, right? Um, because with these community meetings, I mean, we meet every month and we talk about you know things about you know the neighborhood, whether it be crime, whether it be you know we want to do cleanups, whether there's you know oh we have new information, new developers coming, you know how do we organize against that? To um, you know a slew of other things, how do we do art projects and um, making sure that there's still cultural relevant um, community events that are happening in a community. So we, we, and you know, we, we discuss that, you know, every month we try to make sure that we have these meetings every month. And the kids are also part of that, you know, the youth, I should say they're part of that through the junior cab. So like Maria said, we make sure that they, they also have a voice in this because um, at the end of the day, you know, they're part of the community too. So um, I don't know if you want to add anything else to that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was good. And yeah, you know, it's about like you were saying, like relationships, right? And you don't even know your neighbors to like actually show up to a meeting. And you're like, what? You have this issue? Someone mm-hmm. was at the planning board and you're at the planning board. Y'all should connect. Exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, the neighborhood's never going to stop being mm-hmm. under attack. Like, we still live in capitalism, right? Like, people want to figure out how to flip your block to make a book. Mm-hmm. So, knowing your neighbors is going to be important. And I think that that's important also for like organizers, right? To have re- real relationships, not just like transactional ones. Like I want to get you to this meeting, mm-hmm. but are you there for people regularly? Like ICC has cookouts, you know, like we hang out at the farm with people. We have a bike crew, you know, like there's a bunch of other things because we're full humans. We're not just always fighting the system. We're also trying to build the world we want to see, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have the 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good reminder. I have to visit Down Bottom, Far- Down Bottom Farms at some point. I've been meaning to get out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, actually, you know, we've been talking so generally for the last half hour. I just actually want to get to some specifics here. So I understand that every facility is um, something of concern for the ICC, for environmental justice advocates. But I'm wondering specifically with the ARIES, um, the proposed uh, facility by ARIES uh, Clean Energy, what is it about this one that makes this fight particularly unique or important? We're overburdened. Enough is enough. You know, I think um, the fact that Ironbound had like the highest COVID um, you know, results from all last year, it, it should tell you enough that our environment, our air is, it's already compromised, you know, and to add more to that, like, we're tired of it. And this is the reason why we have the environmental justice bill, right? And the cumulative impact ordinance, because cumulatively, all of those facilities together has some type of health effects, mental effects on the community who live close to those facilities so adding another facility that's going to bring 400 tons of toxic pollutions to the community that's already overburdened it's like enough is enough so i think and that's that's the reason for the fight right and it's like right as we're trying to make this environmental justice bill um, become effective because before you know a bill becomes an effect, you have to write law into it. So that takes time. So it seems as though all these facilities, who you know, who would be, I would think, denied under the new EJ bill, are trying to sneak their way in now. And and it's not fair. Why are you you know, why not? Why not take this somewhere else? If it's that, uh, you know, if the if the technology is that great then why is it that NORC is so important that you have to have it here? Yeah, you know, it's just like, first off, why why has this campaign gotten so much? It's simple, right? Like, the messaging is really easy. Hmm. (laughs) Sometimes Chris and I have to fight things that are super nuanced, complex. You have to, like, really redefine print to understand why it's bad for you, Mm -hmm. you know? But something like Aries, it's just so easy to beat up on, right? Because at the end of the day, they're processing human waste. And... You know, I love how transparent they've been about that. You know, like Chris Kidd, their um, director of development, he says to the, you know, tap into, he's like, how how they decide Newark? They followed the feces. And I'm just like, yo, how, how are you cool with saying that about a black and brown community that's been not just on the, on, on the state stage, but on the national stage trying to be an example for how you fight environmental racism? You know, like to me, it was just so tone deaf that he would say that. It was so racist that you would say that about a black and brown community. You followed the feces to get to them, even though that's what exactly what we complain about if he had bothered to Google Ironbound or Newark, he would have figured out that we're actually trying to be the model of the opposite of that, the model of how do we step into a better, brighter, greener um, future. You know, we want to move Newark forward, not backwards. And he didn't realize, you know, what he was saying. He clearly didn't realize what he was saying. And I think that that's what makes this campaign so heartfelt and so passionate for people it's like we're not going to take this one last indignity and you're not going to shove it down our throats yeah i mean how uh this is not meant to be a loaded question but i'm just kind of interested how receptive are they to compromise 
And on the flip side, how receptive are you guys to compromise? There is no compromise here. You know, and I think that that's why um, they've been so hard on us because what we're saying, like, you should talk to the community. And I, I stand by that, right? Like, the community meeting that the mayor had, that's different. Aries has been trying to get ICC to have a private conversation with them. And we're not stupid. You know, we've met with um, organizations in the past. And sometimes if you go to a room of people, they might use what you say against you or they might try to make it seem like you're on the same side. And we didn't want to send the wrong message by meeting with Aries because we just passed a law so that organizations like that never come into our city again so that we stop this image of Newark as a dumping ground. So I think when it comes to that, there is no compromise, you know, like it's either we're dumping ground or we're not. And if we're trying to not be a dumping ground, we can't say we're going to accept like a halfway version of Aries. We just can't accept a sludge processing facility in our backyard. You know, instead of that, we should have, you know, green infrastructure, green jobs, like manufacturing that's that is actually a good job. You know, like Aries only trying to provide 25 jobs for people. That's not a lot. In that same space, you can have, you know, an aquaponics farm. Let's talk about cannabis. You know, it's finally being legalized. It should be a black entrepreneur, you know, growing cannabis there so that we can get talk about reparations. You know, like I'm saying, let's be visionary about what we can do in that space. And it's not a slice processing plant. Um, yeah, I'm glad you, you, you explained that because I'm always fascinated to see where, um, you know, sort of where the, the boundaries of the fight are. And, and it does seem that um, the, the ICC and, and some advocates are very much adamantly opposed. Um, and, it, and from what I can gather, I mean, this is just me um, based off my own talking to people and some research online and some some checking out of social media it seems that you have the community on your side i mean do you guys feel that way yeah i i think that yeah i think they're definitely um i think they're tired you know they don't want to be dumped on anymore we don't want to be dumped on anymore um uh so i definitely agree but i don't know (laughs) i I guess a better question here and more dangerous question is do you think you have the power structures, whether it's politicians, you know, city council, and for that matter, Trenton, on seeing your side of the issue and, and being amenable to what you are advocating for? Or is that an uphill battle? <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's it, it, I mean, they've been amazing, mm-hmm. right? Like you, if you attended the community meeting on Thursday, I've never seen that before in any of our fights, you know, like to have the whole Essex County delegation to have our, you know, our Senator Teresa, Teresa Ruiz to have the assembly women, um, you know, uh, Pinto Marin and Spade to have them all here, you know, like saying that they opposed even after they had heard the facilities presentation. I thought that that was very powerful, actually. And. They've written to the DEP, but I, what I want to remind people is this is not just a fight with the state. We need to make sure this gets denied at the city level. Hmm. You know, like that we get as many no's as possible because that's what's going to send a message like that this is unequivocally unacceptable in an overburdened community. 
there's other places to go. Like, why does no one ever pick Montclair? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess like, that, that, that's a shit on Montclair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, th- oh, thank you. Okay, good. Uh, so <laughs> now that we're using the, uh, the, the red E on my episode, cause we finally swore, uh, I, I was going to make a joke about they're literally burning shit at some point. Like, you know, that's what they're doing. Well, I wasn't sure we were allowed to say that on your show. No, you it's know? fine. It's, it's I, just, I, <laughs> I just put a red E next to the episode, but we have had swearing on some episodes in the past, which I'm totally fine with. Um, I, I think I think the kids can handle it, um, but um, it's kind of we interesting. are talking about crap. We yes, are we are. We are talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I actually, I'm kind of. I, I'm going to see if I could play. You know, sort of represent Aries here in the room because they're not here, and I think it's just fair to you know. Yeah, go to represent ahead. them. Try to, and, try and, to be fair. You can read it from their articles. Yes, that's true too. But in, in a sense, I guess I guess is um, what to give them the 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 reading that they would probably want from the statement, which is probably not a a well-crafted phrase. I think that's putting it very lightly. But I think the thing is, um, as a sort of mechanical issue or as a, you know, cost-effective issue, the reason, the the way the river is, the way the pipes are going, that is simply the best site to process this kind of stuff. Um, what is your what is your argument either against that or saying that that's not even, oh, you know, a consideration or not a worthwhile consideration? I mean, injustice made those pipes go that way, right? Like, that that's what I think that they keep missing, which makes me sad for them, is that this isn't really about them. It's just that they can't come in and continue the legacy of injustice and the legacy of racism. It's saying, well, racism made it that way, and I'm not going to undo it. I get to benefit from the fact that racism dumped on you this whole time. You know, like, that's essentially what they're saying, because that's what we've been saying is it's because of racism that Newark is the center of all things crap processing, right? Mm-hmm. It's why we have PBSC. It's because of racism yeah. that we get to process it for Montclair. And they don't have to smell, you know, the scent of their own crap. They get to flush it down the toilet, never think about it again. And it comes to Ironbound, well, we have to think about it way more than anybody else does. <laughs> we get to think about it at night. Like, I've had nights in the summer that I wake up to, smelling that, you know? And like Chris was saying, like, how how the kids have to go outside and smell that in the middle of the day or in their, inside their schools even. You know, it comes through the windows. It's so powerful. Mm. Um, and so when you're saying that, well, the pipes are there, you're just being insensitive. You're saying that you get to benefit from legacy of racism from injustice and that it, as if it's in, that's what entitlement and what the definition of privilege is if you ask me you know and that's what i guess some folks are missing from this equation is for us to change the status quo that means that we're gonna have to change some things and it's gonna cost some money because we've been benefiting you know like there's like a, a hidden cost here and it's the health of new workers and that's what, you know, our advocacy is trying to visibilize, that we can't keep paying that price with our bodies. You know, someone else has to pay the price. It might mean Aries, you have to truck your shit somewhere else <laughs> and process it somewhere else. You can't do it here. You know, yeah. I know it's convenient, but we're done being sacrificed for other people's convenience. Yeah. Uh, thank you for putting it so so you're, uh, so succinctly. I think it's um, oftentimes it's hard with these issues to explain, like, it's not just we don't want this here because we don't want this particular one, but you're talking about a larger history. Um, and I'm actually kind of interested, you know, one thing that came up in my research and, and I'm kind of fascinated and, uh, and I'm sorry if this is out of left field, so feel free to say you don't really know, but like, wh- how about what happened in Linden? They have a site in Linden that seems to have gone through. Was that fought? Like, cause Linden's not, I mean, 
it's more a little more suburban. It's still semi-urban. It's kind of hard to describe what Linden is, <laughs> but um, if you're Portuguese, I guess you know what it is. But <laughs> um, yeah, right. Uh, but do. You, is there anything from that site, the fight against that site, if there was one that we know anything about, or is it just, it just happened and it, was there no pushback? Yeah. I, I, so, you know, it is fascinating to me what happened in Linden. Yeah. Um, and you know, what, a difference between the Linden side and the Newark side is we have either double or up to nine times, depending on what pollutant we're looking at, mm. the amount of emissions in Newark, even though they're saying that the Linden one is doing the worst things, right? Um, because they're actually processing sludge. Because that's one thing, Aries has been, been trying to pretend that sludge is biosolids, is not sludge, you know, even though it's still sludge, it's just supposedly been treated and we're supposed mm. to accept that argument. So anyway, putting the nerd stuff aside, um, Lyndon, we don't know what happened. Uh, you know, I I was fascinated on the Facebook that people were like, oh, the mayor never told us about it. You know, Lyndon doesn't have an ICC. And I do worry about a lot of um, communities that don't have like an organized force because then it's much harder. Even with ICC, <laughs> Chris, you know, we're always talking about, yo, like there's just too many. It's whack-a-mole with the permits, right? Yeah. Like there's so many damn things for us to keep an eye on. And that should not be our job. That should be the government's job, which is why in the EJ law, um, there's a, a requirement for notification and for community meetings. So that if a facility was coming in, even if you don't have an organization that's looking out for you, the government tells you about it, which is right now not the requirement, right? They only have to post within 200 feet, which is very small. <laughs> it's, you're not gonna have an impact in 200 feet, but that's all you're required to notify. Yeah, I mean, down, so, down there, I think that's the only people that are going to see it are truckers and exactly. some, people are up like to no, yeah, some people are up to no good down there. But. Yeah, like they, it's hard to know that these things are coming, but they're going to have an impact on your health. Yeah. So that's one thing we're trying to change with the EJ law. But unfortunately, it was just passed in September. And I don't know when the Linden facility was in the process. But that's the one thing is just some, some, some um, city groups like some city administrations don't take care of their citizens the right way, you know, and I'm sorry for the mayor of Linden uh, that they sold him, you know, a bad, a bad bill of goods, but that that's not to be repeated in the city of Newark. Mm. And, and that's kind of interesting. So like, I think I guess another claim they would make is that this is bringing jobs, but you're saying that the claim is 25 or that's, and that's for the Newark facility. You know, yeah. I can't believe that they had the face to release a press release for the Linden facility that says zero jobs. I can send that to you. But um, I, I was amazed. Most of, the, most of the jobs at the Linden facility are temporary jobs that are just from construction. And that's what Aries was talking about, too, for the Newark facility. There's 100 construction jobs, yeah. but only 25 permanent jobs. And that just does the math on that one does not add up for us to sacrifice our collective lungs. Yeah. I mean, I guess here's an interesting, and th th again, this is not meant to be an attack. It's just more of just an interesting mm -hmm. thought, thought no, thing is like, um, would it be okay if it were just Newark um, waste? I know that's hard because you can't necessarily separate the, separate that out, but if there were a way, you know, to just, well, it wouldn't yeah. be profitable for anybody. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know what you think, Chris, if it was just Newark, right? I mean, if we all burned our own trash and managed our own waste, I guess I'm okay with that in some scenario. But I also want us to think better than that. And how do we get to a regenerative economy, like a good economy? And how do we institute best practices, right? Like, 
let's say you're drilling for oil. No one wants that in their backyard <laughs> at the end of the day, even if it's just for your car, you know? So like there's still better ways to do things. Right. And so even with waste, there's a long way to go, but definitely not in Newark. I don't know how you feel about that one, Chris. I feel the same way you do, Maria. I agree. I totally agree. I mean, and to talk, to go back onto the, the topic about the jobs, the construction mm. jobs, I mean, the, that area already is contaminated. So, I mean, you're risking those construction workers to work on land that's, you know, or an area that's like heavily contaminated, like, and, and it smells bad. So I don't know how honest they're being about that, but it's like, they're more worried about making the money than, you know, the actual health effects that's going to happen to, yeah. to those workers and, and to the community itself. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny just to go back to the beginning when we started talking about the whole history of how polluted the Ironbound is, everything from dioxin to, you know, other chemicals that were dumped in the river. One of my favorite things to do to for people is to walk a river, I'm going to mess up the name, Riverfront Park, not Riverside. You, you, you got it. You got yes. it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Riverbank. Oh, God. <laughs> but it, <laughs> yeah. it has that, um, it opened in 2013. Um, it has the, um, that little metal bar with the whole history of what, what was done, right? And it just puts in such stark relief, right? Like, obviously, you can smell it, you can see it, but to see the history in a, in a linear way and look at, all the different processing facilities, factories, chemical facilities, and then dumping that went on. It's just astounding. And I'm glad you brought up the construction workers because no one's thinking, oh, they need to be protected too, even if they're not from Newark, right? Um, maybe they're from some neighboring cities, but like that they're also at risk too. So it's not just, um, it's not just the people living in the Ironbound. Yeah, you know, we worry about, like, a lot of the sites, about yeah. the contamination for workers ongoing, right? Like, then they're there, and there's sometimes vapor intrusion or the admissions from that area, which is why, again, like, another failure on areas that's part in that application is they were like, oh, we're not affecting the newer community. But they didn't look at the detention center that's, like, right in front of that facility. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I didn't even think. Oh, my God. Like, the things you don't think about because you don't think about them, right? But the fact that there are incarcerated people hidden, sort of, right, over there. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's what the law does, right? Like, yeah. the law disappears them yeah. as people because in, in the law, you can't be within a certain distance from a, a residence mm. for a large, um, for major sources of certain pollution. But yet you have a detention center that's in the heart of all this that we're talking about. And they don't have a choice. It's not even like they can move, right? Like they are incarcerated or they're being detained. And then when you think about, you know, you were talking about intersectionalities, I think about the intersection of those systems, right? Like the system in, of incarceration and then the system of environmental racism and how it's really being compounded on the folks who are down in Delaney Hall and Essex County Jail. Right. Yeah. And, and thank you for bringing that up because even I, that was a blind spot for me and, and I live and breathe these issues. Um, and I'm just wondering, so like, you know, what is that, what is the future to talk? Let's talk about like, you know, like, um, let's talk positively here about the future of the Ironbound and about environmental justice in Newark. 
what does that look like? And I know we started getting at this and you've hinted at some of this stuff, but I'm just wondering, like, let's say we win this fight. Let's say we win the fights against, oh, I say we, sorry, the Ironbound Community Corporation win the fight, um, you know, and Ares, the site is pulled away, maybe even Covanta and their strange purple gas, <laughs> whatever that stuff is, um, you know, goes away. You know, what? what is remediation? What does um, a restorative um, geography look like? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll start off with Chris has the visions, right? Um, I, I definitely think that, like, first, that's like one thing, you know, so you said we, we want it. It, it is we, it's not the ICC. Yeah, like, yeah, man, yeah. Forget, forget about the organization. It is we, like, how we all come together. <laughs> and, you know, it's been beautiful in the such plant. Like, we've gotten support from all, all the different parts of Newark and beyond. You know, it's definitely felt like a we as a city are opposing this plant. And that's been an amazing part of that fight. Um, but, yeah, when it's all over, I, I want to see, um, I think that first, like, the community will tell us, right? Like, it's not going to be something that Chris or I as organizers decide. It's like the community will tell us what they want to see. It's why Riverfront Park exists. But then we also have to defend to our homes, which is really important, right? Like, that's the public housing right next to the park. And they've been under threat since the park open because sometimes our our communities don't get to have nice things and i guess in 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 our vision of like the future it's like our community is rooted in place you know we we get to stay here <laughs> we get to in, uh enjoy newark's vibrancy and then newark becomes really the model for what just trans i won't introduce a new concept as we're ending the podcast <laughs> but like you know people should look up just transitions like talking about the new visions of the world we want to see as we move away because we're going to have to move away from like fossil fuels and keep hurting the earth right like that's that's not working and you can't really poison the water that you need to to live right like water is life um so we're going to have to do that but if we're doing that we need to make sure that justice you know like justice for all people especially black and brown people black and indigenous people that that's central to whatever the new vision is and then I trust my community fully to help us figure out the like details of that, right? And Chris can fill us in the details uh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, we need more green space, you know, right? We need, you know, you know, we need more. You know, we need we need to make sure that yeah, we're removing ourselves from from that extractive, you know, economy and, and more to regenerative, you know, economy. And what does that look like? You know, we need more. Uh, farms, you know, more gardens, more, you know, access to land that's not contaminated so that we can grow, right, food um, that's healthy, that we don't have to worry about facilities um, like a Covanta or an Aries or Darling entering our neighborhood and polluting our air, that there's better technology that, um, you know, can fix that, that PBSC can close their pits because there's technology where you can close those open pits. Um, you know, these things are are things that technology, you know, technology exists out there, right? But if if no one mandates it or, or makes it law, right, no one's going to follow it because, um, unfortunately for them, money is more important than the people uh, in which the community in which you know, they're working in. And so, yeah, I, I just, I just feel as though I can go on about what the community will want to see, you know, but, um, but yeah, I think they just, we don't want to be forgotten about at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, as you wrap up, I just, I'm, I want to give you both the opportunity 
to just share any uh, plugins or events that are maybe coming up that are going to be important um, as this proposed site goes forward and as legislation is debated. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't know when you're going to air this, but... I'm going to try to get this out as soon as possible, but yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. it sounds like it they matter. Um, no, but one thing is just, like, sign up with us, right? Because the, the truth about this campaign is that the date keeps moving. As we're winning, that means that the date keeps moving around. And I want to keep people on the most up-to-date. So go to Ironbound Justice. There's a button there. It's called Stop the Sludge. Go there and then sign up. Um, to make sure that you're getting the most up-to-date information about where we're at, you know, and what we're doing. Because the sludge factory is just one thing. You know, there's a natural gas plant being proposed as well in the Ironbound. It's just that we only have capacity to do so much, right, and fight for so much things. Um, but there's just so many things to plug into. And like you said, I want to also keep people up-to-date about all the good stuff, like the community farmer's market, you know, that the wonderful people at the urban, at the Newark Urban Agricultural Cooperative have been doing, Um yeah, there's just so much to plug into. Our city's so vibrant and more, I think COVID has brought us even more together where there's a lot of interconnection between the organizations doing good work and trying to connect folks. So I definitely am looking forward to seeing more of that happen. And just to add to that, as we're celebrating Women History Month, we want to plug in that ICC will be having our own celebration, uh, Women History hmm. Celebration. It'll be on March 26th. Um, check out our Facebook page for the link, uh, registration link. Uh, it'll be a fun event. Um, hopefully we'll get a lot of uh, North performers and surrounding areas to kind of showcase their talent. So yeah, it'll be fun. I'll, I'll include links to those in the show notes, which is what you see if you scroll up, if you have certain podcast apps and, should be, and on the website as well. Um, but yeah, I just want to end with the question I end every podcast with, which was, what are you excited for in Newark? I'm excited for spring. It's been a long year, right? I'm definitely excited for spring. And yeah, I feel like I need to shout out Kai and Burger Walla in some way. I'm definitely excited to eat French fries from Burger Walla outside in the spring. No joke. I had Walla for lunch today. That's amazing. Uh, I'm excited for the solidarity that we're seeing with Mark and that we will continue to see with Nork. So, yeah, I know it's still a month away, but I'm excited for cherry blossoms. I'm organizing a oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm organizing a tour around them for um, a club that I'm a part of, and it's going to be our first event with people physically in a long time. So I'm kind of excited. Oh, um, it'll be masked and everything, but it's going to be a bunch of people seeing Forest Hill and cherry blossoms and all that stuff. People who've never been to Newark before, so it's going to be really. We need to get. Some- um, cherry blossoms. I have to cut you off. We need to get some cherry blossoms down in Ironbound. How do we work that out? Help us do that. Yeah, just imagine the Passaic River aligned with cherry blossoms the whole Oh, way. my God. Oh, it's already so beautiful as a yeah. sunset, right? Yeah. Oh, that'd be so cool. Well, you know, that's it for this episode. I want to thank both our guests, uh, Christian and Maria. Um, this is Manny Antunes, host and producer of the Potted Market Podcast. 
Editing and sound engineering by Bafres. Podcast and logo design provided by Robert Conti. Additional creative input by Samantha Cateas. We have a Patreon, which you can find on our website if you'd like to support the podcast. We also have some merchandise available that should be hopefully up soon. Uh, if you have a subject you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, please email podandmarket at gmail.com or contact the pod through social media. We have done episodes through this form, so please keep sending your emails. Um, we are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And so I'm going to end with a quote like I always do. And it's a quote from Jane Jacobs's The Death and Life of Great American Cities. And I felt it's a very appropriate work uh, when thinking about the Ironbound Community Corporation and other um, locally based advocacy groups. Jane Jacobs famously um, fought Robert Moses um, and his planned attempt to build a highway through the uh, the village. Um, this is actually quite interesting history. Um, it's in The Power Broker, which is this famous book by Robert Caro. But Jane Jacobs was also a, a historian and a writer about cities. And she thought cities were organic things that should uh, not be planned uh, in a very theoretical way, but should grow in a more organic way. And so this is a quote that kind of gets at her philosophy. Cities are an immense laboratory of trial and error, failure and success in city building and city design. This is the laboratory in which city planning should have been learning and forming and testing its theories. Instead, the practitioners and teachers of this discipline, if such it can be called, have ignored the study of success and failure in real life, have been incurious about the reasons for unexpected success, and are guided instead by principles derived from the behavior and appearance of towns, suburbs, tuberculosis sanatoria, fairs, and imaginary dream cities, from anything but cities themselves. Thank you.